Hello and welcome back to Out of Curiosity. This is our podcast where we are seeking biblical clarity for modern questions. I'm Nick. And I'm Garland. And today we are talking about the question uh, of whether or not there are other gods in the Bible. Uh, The Old Testament presents this really strong case for what we call monotheism. There's only one God. The God of Israel is the one God over all heaven and earth. And yet, it talks about other gods. It talks about spiritual beings that seem to be throughout the world and in other nations and stuff. So how do we make sense of these other gods in light of the view of there being only one God? It's a, it's a fun question. Uh, it's something I really enjoyed uh, looking at, and we got this question a lot in, sent into our OO Curiosity website. And so uh, maybe the very first thing we have to do is we have to rethink some of our categories and labels. Here's the way I think most, especially Western Christians, tend to think and live. And we're just going to have to adjust this a little bit. I think at least how most people I talk to, here's how I was trained to think. We think like Western naturalists committed to uh, only natural explanations are allowed. Right. There is no supernatural. That's the naturalistic worldview. And it's the worldview that's dominant, we might say, in the American academic culture and scientific mm-hmm. culture right now. Um, and we've been trained to think that way, but with a twist, we add just some key moments where God's involved, like creation, and then Jesus is awesome. And But aside from that, we're mostly seeking naturalistic explanations for everything. We sort of live like naturalists as if, yeah, there is a God. He's so out there. Go ahead. When you say naturalist, define that term one more time for yeah, us. So a naturalist is committed to the belief that only only naturalistic or non-supernatural explanations uh, are allowed in explaining the world around us. So there's no miracles or God or gods or supernatural or ghosts or things like that. Spirits, everything is has a natural explanation, a physical, tangible explanation. So as opposed to an ancient world where it was assumed that behind everything we see is a spiritual story or explanation, we now assume the opposite. Yes, absolutely. We just assume there's a natural explanation for everything we see. Yes, and here's the problem. We then turn to read the Bible, mm-hmm. and we try to force the Bible through the modern Western worldview, and it right. just it just doesn't work. Uh, and so what we're going to have to do is when we read the Bible, we're going to have to do some, some mental gymnastics to put ourselves in the worldview of the ancient reader, the ancient audience. And for us, that could be really, really challenging. And this is a helpful just Bible study tool for all of us is we have to get into their skin, into their shoes before we can make sense of it. And on questions like this, that's really challenging, I think. And so let's do, let's just do a little, a little quick survey of a handful of passages Mm -hmm. and get the ball rolling on this. And we'll see what comes out the other side. Great. Um, First, take us to Psalm 82, Nick. Would you you read uh, verse, let's just go just verse one. All right. Psalm 82, verse one. I'm reading from the NIV. God presides in the great assembly. He renders judgment among the gods. Okay. He renders judgment well, among the other gods. And, and maybe just for, uh, for us to get our categories right, the words that are being translated here for God, there's uh, this Hebrew word Elohim, and there's, uh, there's, it's a plural word, Elohim. The im makes something plural. There's also a Hebrew word El, which means singular God. So we have Elohim, God, resides over the council of El, God, and he, res- he sits over this assembly of the Elohim, the gods. And so what we first have to understand is this word Elohim, this word God, it's not a name. And that's 
really important for us to understand as modern Westerners, once again, when we hear God, we think that's the name of the supreme being who is the, you know, the uncaused cause of the world. Uh, and in that way of thinking, we tend to think very platonic. There's a God who's out there and he made everything. There's one kind of ultimate awesome being and his name is God. Right. Proper noun. Proper noun, G-O-D. And the problem with that is that's not how the Hebrew audience is thinking at all. The word Elohim represents a class or a category of beings, namely those of the spiritual realm. And the, right off the bat, that's just weird for us. The word species almost captures it, although yeah. it feels really uncomfortable to say yeah. that. About, but it's, it's a different kind of mm -hmm, being. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's go to, uh, uh, we're going to talk about this one uh, at a later episode. Let's go Genesis 6. This okay. is a nice fun one, verses 1 through 4. Genesis 6, 1 to 4. Genesis 6, 1 to 4, again in the NIV. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful. And they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with humans forever for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, they were the heroes of old men of renown. Weird. Whoa. <laughs> and we're going to talk about this at a different podcast. Uh, uh, subsequently to this one, but there's our category, sons of God. And when anything okay. in the Bible is the son of something, it means it's one of that class. And okay. so Jesus is often called the son of man. It's highlighting his humanity in doing that. This is These are sons of God. B'nai Elohim is the Hebrew way to say it. And they're one of a class. And we're going to come back and talk about what's going on here. But we also have these bizarre categories of, of the animated spiritual beings praising God. If you wouldn't mind, read for us Job 38, verses 4 to seven. All right, Job 38, four to seven. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? So the, the morning stars and the angels, those become synonymous in the Hebrew Bible. If you think like an ancient person, an ancient Near Eastern person looks up, they see stars, they see things that move and seem to have vitality, they, they twinkle, they shine, they go, those are representative of these angels, these, this class of being that are different than us, and they have power, and they reside above us. They're superior to us in some way. And so if we're putting all these categories together and trying to get a sense of the way that an ancient person thinks about the gods, it goes something like this. And, and this is where we get our, our maybe our better, for, better formed view of monotheism. The Jewish person, and then thus the Christian person, believes that there is one Elohim, one particular Elohim who is the most high God. There is none like this Elohim, and his name is Yahweh. It's actually interesting. The, the introduction of our Bible, Genesis, is really clever in how it, it tells the story. And if you look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through chapter 2, verse 3, the word used of whoever's doing this creating is just our word Elohim, God. Elohim, Elohim, Elohim. And it's begging the reader to ask this question. Okay, yeah, yeah. I okay, yes, of course the world is being animated and created and ordered by God, by some Elohim. Hmm. Which Elohim is it? Right. And then chapter two, verse four says, now let's talk about 
Yahweh mm. Elohim. He's the one. He is the Elohim. There's no other Elohim like Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel. And we see this all over the Bible. Just one example, and I'll read it, is uh, Exodus chapter 15, verse 11. Who among the Elohim is like you, Yahweh? Anytime you see in your, in your Hebrew Bible that kind of concept, it's trying to get across the idea that Yahweh is the supreme Elohim. He alone is the creator, the ruler. He's the one who's king of the earth. He's the only one worthy of worship, and therefore, there's none like him. Mm -hmm. It's not saying that there aren't any other Elohim, but right. that all of them they're not the creators, they're not the rulers, and they're not the ones worthy of worship. They give their worship to Yahweh. They were created by Yahweh, and they derive their power yeah. from Yahweh. And I often, whenever I talk about this, like if, you know, just to to, to show what distinguishes the Judeo-Christian view of God and spiritual beings from a lot of others, I'll, I'll draw three labels. So I'll do the Lord God, mm -hmm. and then I'll do the gods, mm -hmm. and then I'll do humans. Mm -hmm. And if I were to say, I'm going to draw a line separating two classes of beings, um, the, a lot of other faiths would say the gods and the big God are kind of all in one class and humans in another. And what distinguishes is the biblical view says, actually, Yahweh sits over as the creator, mm -hmm. both the gods and the humans. Yes. So there's a distinction between the creator and the creation and those gods are all creations. And what you're pointing out there, and that's, that's, uh, that helps clarify is that's not how we think right. as modern American Westerners, right? Like we don't think in terms of that kind of category and right. the ancient people did. And so to make a claim, Yahweh, our covenant God, is above everything else in creation mm -hmm. was a radical claim in the right. ancient worldview, so much so that we can say the ancient Jewish people are strong monotheists. Yes. Um, but the, the way they speak about it would, is going to be a little nuanced from how we speak about it. So using what you just pointed out, Yahweh's at the top. There's a very thick line on the page between Yahweh and everything else. Yep. But then when we move down uh, into that, uh, when we cross that line, this is where it gets murky for us, and we've got to get mm -hmm. used to thinking about it. The Bible will speak of Yahweh's divine counsel, that Yahweh has delegated authority to these Elohim. We might say they function almost like the president has a cabinet, and those cabinet yep. members uh, advise, and they carry out orders, and they have authority. It's a delegated authority that's given to them from the president, but they have authority. And the divine counsel is in the presence of Yahweh. Now, What's so interesting is the meeting place of the gods in the ancient world was always up. You want to yep. explain why? Yeah, I mean, part of it comes down to just or physically, spatially, how they saw the world. Mm -hmm. And so they thought of a world that, was, that moved from down to up, so below the ground. That's the realm of the dead. That's where the dead people go because we bury them down yep. there. We bury them down. And then where we stand on the ground, that's human life. And then there's this sense of looking up into the vault of the sky. And, and there's this, uh, that is the otherness. And there's the, everything life-giving comes from up. Mm -hmm. So the sun, the rain, this, everything is up above. And so they saw that as the heavens and, and they understood that's, that's where God is somewhere mm -hmm. up there. And the higher you go the closer you get to the gods. Now, mm -hmm. uh, we don't think of the Garden of Eden as a mountain garden, but the biblical authors do. We can see this in Ezekiel 28. They speak of the Garden of Eden as the meeting place of the Elohim. Mm -hmm. So where does Yahweh and his staff team, Yahweh and his cabinet meet? They meet in these 
elevated places in this place called the Garden of Eden. And what's interesting about Genesis 1 and 2 is that's where humanity was brought in to enjoy the presence of Yahweh there. This gives color to all those weird passages for you, by the way, in Genesis 1 to 3. Let us make mankind in our image is almost certainly a reference to this divine counsel that, that Yahweh is speaking to this his cabinet members, we might say. Right. Um, it also gives color to, we're going to talk about this later, what's going on with the weird creature that shows up and starts talking to them. Sure. Um, we, we get weirded out by that, but an ancient person would not. It also gives color in chapter three when the, uh, when the serpent says, he doesn't want you to be, now our translations almost always take this as, he knows you'll be like God when right. you eat of it. But the the verb is actually a plural there. He knows you'll be like one of the gods, the Elohim. So humans are looking around and going, we want to be like these Elohim. They're clamoring for a power that has not been given to them and doing so inappropriately. So all of this story, it jumps off the page for the ancient person and for us, we try to fit it in bizarre categories uh, of kind of our modern understanding and we we have to be the ones to adjust. So Yahweh at the top, his divine, we might say staff team, his yep. cabinet team. And then he has what the Hebrew scriptures calls melach, which is the word for angels. Yep. These are messengers who go out and do the bidding of Yahweh and his staff team. Now, let's let's go to the strangest passage maybe in your Bible. Wow. And it will it will begin to make sense although still in a weird way. Go to 1 Kings 22 and Nick, would you mind reading? This is how 1 Kings ends. We have a, a wicked king named Ahab who's on the throne of the northern tribes of Israel and Ahab is uh he's he's committing comp- horrible in- injustices and idolatry and Yahweh's tired of Ahab's reign. Right. And look at what happens. Let's read verses 19 to 23. Okay. So, Micaiah by the way will be a prophet of Israel. Okay. 1 Kings 22 19 to 23 you said? Yes. Micaiah continued, therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the multitudes of heaven. So let's get our categories. I saw, yep. when you see all caps, Lord, that's Yahweh, Yahweh. And he's sitting on his throne with this multi, these multitudes of heaven. This is representing these spirit beings in the divine throne room. And so the multitude of heaven standing around him on his right and on his left. And the Lord, Yahweh, said, Who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth Gilead and going to his death there? Keep going. It just gets weirder. One suggested this and another that. Finally, a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord Yahweh and said, I will entice him. (laughs) By what means? The Lord Yahweh asked. I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all of his prophets. He said, you will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord Yahweh. Go and do it. So now the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all of these prophets of yours. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. I mean, that's weird. It's weird, right? It just is. And when we when we put on the right glasses of understanding how the ancient world would see this, it actually makes perfect really sense. sense. When we try to force it into modern categories, it just sounds weird. And so there's a lot of places in your Bible where you're going to see this. We're going to look at uh, the Satan, Job mm-hmm. chapter one. Uh, when you talk, when you turn to Isaiah chapter six, a lot of these really famous parts of our Bible now begin to get colored by this picture because we're going to see all of these 
spirit beings around the throne and around with Yahweh. And uh, we're going to look at how they fell, what happened with the spiritual rebellion. But in this particular episode, what we're trying to, to help us understand is, does the Bible affirm strong monotheism? Mm-hmm. I think we would say yes. Yeah. Yahweh alone is the creator, the ruler, and the one worthy of worship. And everything else is on the other side of that creator and mm-hmm. creature divide. Mm-hmm. But on the creature divide, it's a little more complicated than animals and humans. Right. There's some spiritual realities that we have to appreciate. Now, we can see this, and this is how I think we'll wrap this one up. We can see this in our New Testament all over the place. Yep. This is this the New Testament authors are simmering in this worldview. This is what they understand. This is how they see the world. And so when we see Paul, for example, saying things like, like Jesus is the one who is above all rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Mm-hmm. What he has in mind is that Jesus is superior to all of these created beings. And we're going to dive into this more uh, as we get into subsequent podcasts. But when Paul says our battle's not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual powers and rulers in the heavenly places. He has in mind that this this spiritual world is way more vibrant than most of, I think, modern readers think. And by for our purpose in this podcast is just to get us thinking that way. So in, in the incarnation, Yahweh took on flesh, so now there is a human being who's over come the gods. across that line. Yeah. But it's still on the creator side of that line. And that's why we see Paul and them wrestling with, how do we talk about Jesus? He's the image of the invisible God. His fullness of deity dwells in him. And yet he's a human that we can touch and we saw crucified. And so the categories of who our God is just get bigger and bigger the more we read our Bible. And for me, even like right now, I've got goosebumps because it's awesome thinking about the power and awesomeness of our God. It's incredible. feels like we just got a a more full picture of the characters in our story, and I hope it uh, helps us as we study the scriptures together. And thanks for listening to Out of Curiosity. Thank you for listening to Out of Curiosity. As we discussed, are there other gods in the Bible? We encourage you to look into this more in Psalm 82, Unseen Realm by Michael Heiser, the Cosmic Mountain in Canaan, and the Old Testament by Richard Clifford. If you want to send in a question or contact us, go to oocuriosity.com and follow us on Instagram at oocuriosity. Be sure to subscribe to keep up with future episodes.